Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, we just again, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, we're all here because we love you. We want to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would soften up all of our hearts so that we might hear the message that you have for each one of us today. Lord, grant us the wisdom to see what you have written in your word. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, the letter of Galatians, corrective letter that Paul writes to the churches in the region of Galatia. Remember, we talked about that before. Um, At the time, you know, Paul's come back from his first missionary journey, and he's all jazzed, and he is back, and he's he's sharing everything that's happened with the the church there in Jerusalem, and then, I mean, excuse me, Antioch, and then uh, he gets news that some Judaizers have come in behind him into the churches in the region of Galatia and started to tell the folks there that, yes, this Jesus thing, that's great, that's good news, but you also have to be circumcised. Follow the law. You have to do these other things. And it's a very frustrating bit of information that Paul gets. You can understand that he's just spent all this time going through seeing them as he's going to address today. These, all these people receiving the Spirit because they heard the Word and they believed it. Not because they did anything, not because they earned anything, but because they heard and they believed. And if you remember Paul's trip through that region, it wasn't an easy trip. His first time through, he got denied, he got run out of town, he was stoned and left for dead. People were, uh, you know, um, saying, they're gods, you know, oh, they're not gods, they're criminals. No, let's get rid of them and running them out. But some wanted to hear, and some did hear, and some believed. And so Paul gets this word, there's Judaizers, there's guys coming in, and so he writes this letter to them. And, you know, the first couple of chapters of Galatians is basically Paul saying, look, I feel like I need to establish who I am so that you understand that you can, un- you can trust the things that I say. He starts to establish his authority. He goes through a lot of trouble to say, look, I am an apostle. I spent time with Jesus. I was sent out by Jesus himself to bring this message to you, and I'm giving you the truth, the gospel. And if anybody brings any other gospel to you, then they should be anathema, cursed. He says, even if it's an angel who shows up at your door and tells you something other than what we shared with you, he even says, if I came back and told you something different, let you be, let them be cursed. Because he's saying anything in addition to the actual and true gospel of Jesus Christ is wrong. The gospel, that's it. If it's Jesus and it's no good. Jesus plus anything, no. Jesus plus nothing is everything. That's new math. That's new math for your teachers. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I will now proceed to draw a very confusing chart to explain that new math with an essay.
One of my favorite parts of this is Paul kind of concludes this defense of who he is and where he came from, because, you know, he goes on, kind of on and on and tells his whole story. And stopped last week in verse 21 of chapter 2. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. He says, if it is Christ, Jesus, and anything else, then you negate what Jesus did on the cross. If anybody would think that would be wanting to hold on to this idea of my righteousness through my works makes me something, it would be Paul. Paul is the guy that was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was raised up by the top teacher in the land. Gamaliel said, I couldn't even keep enough books in his hands. He would go through them so quickly when speaking of Paul. Paul was an amazing follower of the law, and yet Paul is throwing all of it away and saying, but it is the grace of Jesus Christ only. That is a major statement for Paul to make. Okay, so in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians. That's how you want to start a letter. <laughs> oh, foolish Galatians. It's actually, it's a word in Greek that means um, somebody who's been given the truth but refuses to believe it or trust in it. That, that's kind of the actual and literal translation of the word foolish when he's talking. So Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you've been given the truth. You know the truth. I gave it to you, and yet you're refusing to act on it or to trust in it. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? The word bewitched, it means bewitched. That's what, that's what it means. You look it up, that's what it means. But it implies this, that they were um, lured away. And he's saying, who has lured you away? But it goes deeper than that. Not just lured away by like a shiny object. It means lured away by appealing to your vanity. So he says, you Galatians, you who I came and saw through many trials, by the way, and beatings and hardships, but I brought you the truth. You are refusing to act on the truth, but you're being drawn away not by some shiny distraction, but be, by appealing to your own vanity. You know what the vanity is? It's that part of the message that says, you need to be a partner in your own salvation with Jesus Christ. That's what grace and works is. You're a savior partner. You're a savior partner. And so that message, even though they may be coming saying, well, you know, you need Jesus and this other thing, it wasn't so much that they were doing it because they felt guilty, but it was an opportunity for them to say, oh, I get to play a part in my own salvation. And really, I should because, well, frankly, I'm awesome. <laughs> Not awesome. I didn't, you know, I didn't even think of that. I should have. See, I've believed for a long time that people actually were guilted into or were fearful that they had to do something in order to earn righteousness, to be able to seem righteous by God. But I actually, after studying this, believe that it comes more down to the fact that it's not that I, I'm guilty, like I feel guilty, I have to do it, but I want to. 
Be a part of it. Why can't I be a partner in my own salvation? It, you know, maybe my life is a two-seater, and me and Jesus are right there together. And that is a lie from the pit. That is, a, that is the same kind of lie that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven, where he said, I could be as great as God. In fact, I could attain a, a higher position than God. And God says, you're out. You're out. And from that day forward, he has used that same tactic to Eve in the garden. If you eat that fruit, you will be like God. Hmm. Hmm. And she's thinking, well, maybe not better, but like. That's not so bad. I mean, there you are, me and God, we're partners, partner saviors. He says, you're being, you're being drawn away. You foolish Galatians, you're being lured away by an appeal to your vanity because you think you're something, but you're not something. And he goes on, he says, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. It's an interesting word that he says, clearly portrayed. Um, it means, it doesn't mean this, but it means this, billboarded. Now, clearly, Paul would never write you, he's been billboarded, but that's the idea. Written really big for you to see. Now, um, if you've never been out of Naples, you don't know maybe what a billboard is because we don't have any here. But if you drive up to Bonita Springs, you can see Billboards are like really big signs, and the, you know, if you, if you learn how to design a billboard, you know what it has? Really big letters and really simple messages, right? Well, we drive up to Georgia sometimes for vacation. There are billboards all along the highway. You know what they say? Jesus saves. Jesus is your savior. You know, you go up and you see, and you, and you ride by, and some of them say turn or burn, but you know, that's a, that's a quicker message. But it's true, but but yeah, you know, you you, know, you might actually be distracted by that sign and but it's like that Paul is saying that the message is big and obvious and clear you were portrayed with this idea that Jesus and him crucified. I actually saw some pictures of the place where Jesus was crucified. You know, you can look this up online, and they have a pretty good idea of where that was. And when it says that they put up a sign that said, this is the king of the Jews, right? And it was in three languages, and they put it up. I've always imagined it to be, like, tacked to the top of the cross. But in fact, at the place of the cross, there's a big uh, area cut out into the rock where they believe they actually put a sign, and it was, like, this big, attached right behind the cross where he was. And it said, Jesus, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. That's a, that's a billboard. That's a clear message. And Paul is saying, how could you be lured away so quickly when you were so clearly given the message, Jesus Christ is crucified? <laughs> um. Matt, you just use the word distracted in a completely different way that I'm going to use it. So, you know, yes, be distracted for the lost. That's a good message. However, part of what this message is, is that they're being distracted. They're being distracted and drawn away by something inside of them that says, I should be part of this. I can't just sit back and let it happen. 
You know, sheep, we're sheep. Are we not sheep? Doesn't the Bible call us sheep? Doesn't refer to us as sheep? I did a little research. In fact, I looked it up on the uh, Saskatchewan Sheep Development Board. <laughs> it's an authority on sheep. Uh, I, I, wrote, I read a, a, a paper called Understanding Sheep Behavior. Just check it out later. Saskatchewan Sheep Development Board. Well, one of the things that they say are sheep are easily distracted. Easily distracted. You know what it also says? That they don't typically follow their handler. You know, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Sounds about right. We're all just like, we're all following each other around. You know? <laughs> but sheep are distracted easily. And this is what we're seeing right here, you know. They've got the message. It was clear. Paul was like, you good? You're good. Everybody good? All right, I'm going back. He gets home, and he gets back there, and he hears that somebody came in behind him and said, oh, yeah, that thing, that, that guy, Paul, first of all, he's a lunatic, and you, know, you don't listen to him. It's Jesus and. And they're like, hmm. It's because he says, how, how soon it was that you were distracted. <laughs> we're constantly under fire by the enemy, the devil, because he wants us to believe that there must be something else that we have to do to earn our salvation. You can't just pray a prayer. That's so stupid. To pray a prayer, that's too easy. Did you ever hear that? Did you ever hear somebody say, what you believe about being saved, that's too easy. It can't be that easy. It can't be just a prayer. First of all, it's not just a prayer. Let me just clear that up. It's not just a prayer. It's a realization that I'm a sinner. I do not have the capacity to save myself, and I am in the need of a Savior. In order for me to be saved, I need to confess that I am a sinner. I need to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior, and he does. He forgives you, he forgave me, and he came in and he lived in my heart. That's the gospel, by the way. And if I do that in a prayer with some other people, or if I do it in a prayer while I'm walking down the street, or if I'm driving down my car and I come to this realization, that's how it works. Now, if that seems easy to people, then that's what it is. But I hate that when people say it's too easy, or they'll call it cheap grace. Too easy? It's too easy? Do you think it was easy for God to look down and say, this creation that hates me, that is my enemy, this people that I created that hates me, I know what I'll do. I'll send my only son down to die for them. You think that was easy? What about Jesus coming down? Jesus leaving the right hand of the Father in heaven to come down in human form. And by the way, live on a whole life from baby to 30-something years old here on this wretched rock that we live on compared to heaven. To endure separation from his Father, to go to the cross, to be spit on and hated and mocked, and beaten nearly to death, and then die on a cross. Do you think that was easy? I hate it when people say, that's too easy. Oh, man. Forgive me, Lord, because my thoughts in that moment are not kind. 
yeah, but if, if God extends you this you know, grace that you've, you've, you don't have to do anything and he just forgives you and now you're forgiven, aren't people just going to now just go crazy? It's like this. It's like um, you have this little dog and you're, you love this dog and you pet him and you feed him and you play and you snuggle on your bed and, and uh, you run around in your house and he's loyal. Everywhere you go, he's right next to you and he's walking with you and he gets up on your lap when you're watching TV and he's right there. But as soon as you open the door, he like scrambles. He's outside and he's like, Woo-hoo-hoo, free and he's off and running. That's what people think it's like. Because as soon as we're extended grace, we know we've got grace and we accept it. We're just going to run out and go crazy. That doesn't happen. Why? Because the grace of God, it changes people. You are a new creation. Now, that doesn't mean that everything that was bad has gone. But it means that you're a new creation. It's called being born again. (laughs) And so now, yes, okay, we do things. But we don't do things out of guilt. We do things out of gratitude. Because he saved us. Not guilt, gratitude. That's where we operate from. I think Paul is like astounded that they have lost sight of this so quickly. He says, this only I want. This is verse 2. <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks for me, so I'm, I saved it all up. This only I want to learn from you. You know, it's very emphatic. Paul's very careful in these words. He's like, I really don't want to talk about any other thing except for this one thing. This is what I want to know for you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in spirit, so that now you are being perfected by the flesh? He's saying, look, you understood that you were saved by faith, But now do you think that it's your awesomeness that is going to take you any further? Because that's what it sounded like. Have you begun in the spirit, but are you now being perfect in the flesh? It's a rhetorical question, by the way. Paul's not actually asking them to say, huh, am I being made perfect? He's saying, no, you are not made perfect in the flesh. He knows the answer. You see, he was there. He's the one that presented the gospel to him. If you remember, if you go back into those chapters in Acts, when he was up in that that area of Galatia, it said that he preached the word, he preached the gospel, and it says, and many heard, and many believed. And so he was there with them when they believed it. So when he asked this question, he knows the answer. And in fact, he knows they know the answer. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect in the flesh, having suffered no so many things in vain, indeed, if it was in vain? What Paul is saying is they're like, you know, you remember when I was there and I was preaching the gospel to you and you heard the truth and you accepted it and you believed in Jesus? It wasn't all easy, was it? You have to look back because those were divided cities and there were likely some divided families. And he's saying, do you not remember everything that happened when you were there and you, yes, you received Jesus and it was great, but don't you remember the, the, the tr- trouble that came as a result of it? Do you not remember? Because he says, I do, I was there. 
Do you not remember that? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Did people receive miracles because they earned enough points? Was it, is it, he's saying, is, is the person who does the miracle God? Does he do it by faith or does he do it because you've earned up enough points to earn a miracle? Have you done enough work to earn your miracle? Who thinks that they've done enough work to earn a miracle? It's, it's like credit card points. I've used my card so many times, I've got like a thousand miracle points. I'm going to redeem those someday. Good luck. Well, faith says that it's not the amount of work that I do that gets a miracle done. It says that I believe that God does miracles and can do miracles. But it also says, but I don't believe no matter how much faith I have, I can make him do it. That's earning miracle credits. It says, I believe that he can. I pray that he will, but I accept whatever his will is in the situation that happens. Because, and that's faith saying, I believe that whatever you do is the right thing because you know better than I know. I'm selfish. Am I the only one? If you're selfish, raise your hand. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you didn't raise your hand, though, so I'm making a note of that. Deirdre, write that down. The reason why maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, are you sure? Because I think we're supposed to do things is because part of you is saying, not that I think we're supposed to, but I think I want to. I want to earn some credits towards righteousness, towards miracles, towards a, a something. I don't know. No, he's, again, saying it's not by the works of the law that miracles are done. It is God does them because he's God. And whether he does or not do them, it's his will and his plan, which is perfect. You know, that's, a, is that a struggle for anybody? It's a struggle for me sometimes. So it could be like, God, why, why can't this be the plan? This would really be better. <laughs> or you think, you know, Maybe God is just distracted. He's got a lot going on, you know, with like wars and sickness and, you know, earthquakes and pestilence and locusts and all that. So he's got a lot going on and maybe he doesn't know this one. Maybe I just need to enlighten him about this one little thing. But, you know, he addresses that in his word. He says, you know what? My ways are not your ways. In fact, my ways aren't just not your ways. My ways are like way up here. And your ways are like way down here, way down, way down there. And they're like, oh, that's right. That's right. So I forget that sometimes. Or I don't want it to be true. I want to be able to be like, God, can't your ways be my ways? Well, sometimes my ways are his ways. But that's only when I'm in his perfect will. <sighs> this idea of works attached to salvation. It's, it's, it's not even logical. It's not logical. Think about it like this. Let's say there are three guys in a lifeboat. They're a thousand miles from shore. One guy 
can't swim at all. The second guy, pretty good swimmer. Third guy, Olympic swimming champion. What was that guy's name? Dressler? Anybody watch the Olympics? You know, there were Olympics that were just on. Yeah. So they're all in a lifeboat. They're a thousand miles from shore, and they all say, well, you know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm save myself and swim to shore. So the first guy jumps in, but he can't swim. So what happens? Drowns. Second guy thinks, I'm going to save myself and swim to shore. So he jumps in, and he's a pretty good swimmer, and he makes it 10 miles. But then what happens? He drowns. The Olympic swimmer says, I'm saving myself by swimming to shore. And he jumps in, and he swims 100 miles. And then what? He drowns. That's right. He drowns. They all drown because none of them can do enough. It's like they're being drawn into this gold star, talking about school, gold star chart theology. The more good I do, the more stars I get, and the more stars I get, the better it will be for me, and the more righteous I'll be before God. So then, and, and then that allows me to look and say, well, I had a lot more stars than Steve has. Yeah, but, you know, Jeff has more than I do. <clears throat> I got to do more. I got to do more, and I can measure, and I can be like, look, look at all my stars. And God says, hey, I got something for you. And he pulls out Jesus' star chart. Not, not star chart, but you know what I mean. And it's just one big gold star. And he says, here, you can have this one. You can have this one. But you have to get rid of that one because you can't have both. You can have that one, and good luck. Or you can have Jesus' big gold star chart, but you can't have both. Which one do you want? I want Jesus' gold star chart. Yeah, that's what I want. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, there's, I mean... This, he's going back in the Old Testament in Genesis. He's, going, he's also going to write this later in Romans. He's going to spend a lot of time on this. But he's going to go back to Abraham. Because uh, if you don't know, Abraham, before God called him out, and his name was Abram, was a pagan worshiping other gods. But God called him out. And it says that Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him. He believed God. God. And so part of the reason I think Paul is going to really talk about this so much is because the ones that are coming down, making all the trouble, they're Judaizers. These are Jews who uh, believed in Jesus, but are now saying, you need all this other stuff as well. And so they've got a Jewish heritage. And so he's going to say, all right, I'm pulling out the Abraham card. And he slaps it down. He says, Abraham believed God. Now, you know what it doesn't say? Abraham believed in God doesn't say that he believed in God. Lots of people believe in God. Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, someone says, well, I believe in God. Of course I believe in God. But God is the universe. I believe God is a tree, a force, a special warm feeling inside me, inside all of us. I believe God is blah, 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 whatever. Well, that's not true. God says who God is. But even if they say they believe in God, even the God that we know and that we talk about. Oh, I believe in God. 
The Bible says that even the demons believe in God. And it's not just, I believe in the existence of God. It is a relationship of faith. That's what Abraham had. Let's say there was a tightrope walker. And he's got a tightrope stretched out. I guess we'd have to erect poles here because we don't have any high places or hills. But let's say he was up there 100 feet and he's got this tightrope and he's standing and he says, how many of you here believe that I can walk this tightrope? And everyone's like, yes, we believe that you can walk this tightrope. And then he says, how many of you believe that I can walk this tightrope blindfolded? Yes, I believe that you can walk that tightrope blindfolded. And then what if he said, well, how many of you believe that I can walk this tightrope blindfolded with somebody on my shoulders. Yes, we believe that you can walk this tightrope blindfolded with somebody on your shoulders. And then he says, can I get a volunteer? <laughs> it's okay. They're saying the same thing. I believe you can do it. I believe that you can walk that rope, but I don't have a trust that you can put me on your shoulders and do it. See, Abraham believed God. It means that he had a relationship of trust, of faith. That's the difference in just believing in God and believed God. It means that whatever God says, whoever he is, he is. Whatever he says he'll do, he'll do. That means that you believe God. <clears throat> He's really... Uh, going to push this Abraham button now. He says, therefore, now that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Oh, man, this must have really ticked them off, right? It must have ticked these Judaizers off because part of what they believed made them what they were was their lineage. They're tied back to Abraham. But he's saying only those who have faith, as I've described it, are actually children of Abraham. Oh, boy. Jesus would address this. He would say to the Pharisees that uh, if you were really sons of Abraham, because the Pharisees were claiming, well, Abraham is our father. If you were really sons of Abraham, you would do what he did. You would believe what he believed. John the Baptist would say something similar. He was like, don't give me all of this, oh, we claim Abraham as my father, BS. He would say he could raise up these stones to be his children. The lineage, the descendant of so-and-so, because he believed and I believe, that's nothing. We still see that, right? It was like, well, I'm a Christian. My parents were Christians, so I'm a Christian. I could tell you something right now. My parents were Christians. I was not. I looked like one. I sounded like never cursed a day in my life. I didn't drink until I was 21 years old. And then it was like a wine cooler. And I was like, oh, I'm 21. And it was horrible. Alone in the park. It's really desperate. I'm sorry. It's... I didn't know anybody else that was 21 at the time. I looked okay. I looked like a Christian. I went to church all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth group. I was in church all the time, but because my parents had a relationship with Christ didn't mean I did. I needed that too. I couldn't inherit it. 
It wasn't passed down to me. Now, they did it still to be some really great morals. But then I got to college and they all went away. And then I was even further corrupted when I wet my wife, who was not also. <laughs> she cursed like a sailor. And I would do this every time. Physically react. And she would curse and she would get mad and say, what? Don't you think women should curse? I was like, I don't curse ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> but can I tell you what did draw me to Christ? I was, had a longing for some kind of a deeper relationship. I remember saying, we need community. We don't have community. I've said this before. We had friends that we didn't like. That's all we had. We didn't enjoy being with them. We were like, we, you know, we really need some community. And, you know, maybe it was, you know, the Friends era, and so maybe we were influenced by if we could just find a really cool coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and God drew us into a church that opened up the Bible. I, it was at a wedding that we got drawn in, and it's a crazy story, and I'd love to tell it some other time um, because it turned out to be a bad church. Um, that we ran away from in the middle of the night. And it was really, again, good story, not for now. But what it did do is it ignited that desire for a relationship with something other than myself or my wife that couldn't be filled by anything other than Jesus. And I found him in his word. Or, frankly, he found me again. But it couldn't be given to me by my parents. It's Faith, and that's what he's saying. The sons of Abraham are the children who have faith, not the, because they're descended from Abraham alone. Darn, we're going we're gonna to stop. I'm going to leave you with this. I talked about the relationship with Jesus as a relationship of trust, and faith. Imagine you did have to get onto my shoulders and put a blindfold on me and have me walk across a tightrope, right? That would take a lot of trust that I could do it. I can't, by the way. Are you trusting Jesus for your salvation? Are you trusting him for your salvation? Or are you someone who's sitting there thinking, I got it. I got it. It's pretty good. I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm not the worst person out there. I don't, uh, you know, I've never, <laughs> it's so funny when you say to somebody, oh, you think you're good? Tell me something good that you feel. I've never killed anybody. <laughs> Great. But that's something bad you didn't do. Tell me something good you did do. And then on top of that, it doesn't matter anymore. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it. You can't get enough stars on your chart. So are you trusting him for your salvation? And if you are, amazing. That's amazing because he's coming back really soon, really soon. Yeah. And I'm going. And some of y'all are coming with me, and that's going to be amazing. But maybe some of you aren't. Because you haven't trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, and you need to do that. But maybe you have done that, and that's great. So then my question is this. Are you trusting him for 
your everyday life? Are you trusting him for your everyday life? You're like, oh, I'm pretty secure in my salvation, but until then, I'm just going to manage all this on my own. You've got all these balls up in the air going, you know, job and church and friends and family and, and all these things, and you're like, <laughs> and someone throws, throws another one, like cars or hobbies or whatever, and there's another ball, and you've got it up in the air, and, and you're going, oh, I got it, no, no, I got it, I got it, I got it, and your heart's beating faster, and you're trying desperately not to drop any of those, and I'm asking you, are you trusting God with your everyday life? Are you just saying, because I don't know for sure, and I can't find a verse for this, but I'm pretty sure that God could juggle all the stuff without dropping it. Here's the question, like, is there something in your life that you are trusting God for so much that if he dropped the ball, it would all fall apart? Is there something in your life right now that you could say, I have so given this to God that if by some chance he didn't come through, this would all fall apart? Or are you still holding on to everything under your own strength, under your own power? The Bible says that we're to love God with all of our heart, stroll, stroll, you know, strength, that's actually, there's four things because it was added later, heart and soul and mind and strength. You know what that means? Everything. Everything. Are you trusting God with everything? Or do you just have a really firm grip on the reins? Right? I'm just going to hold on. I'm going to come through here and here and here. And here. So I'm holding on. I'm holding on tight to these reins. Because I got Jesus right next to me, but I'm just going to, I got it, I got it. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <clears throat> and that's when the devil gets in. And you're exhausted. And you're like, but, but I'm supposed to, but I have to, I need to do this, I need to hold that. And he's like, yeah, you do. You know the devil? <clears throat> do not be deceived. The devil's grand plan is to destroy you however he can. However he can. And so it's like this. You could be at your job or your school and you're thinking, man, I am not good at this. I'm not smart. I can't do this. And the devil comes and he says, no, you are. You're amazing. You are so good at this. Nobody does this job better than you. And you start thinking, I am pretty good, actually. Nobody, really, nobody does this better. No one did this better before me. And probably after I go, no one's going to do that. I deserve all of this. And the devil says, what? Who do you think you are? You think you're so great. You're nothing. Look at you comparing yourself to everybody else. All he wants to do is break you down. That's all he wants to do. Be on guard. You start to feel exhausted. That's because you're trying to juggle everything yourself. What are you trusting to God? Is it everything? Let's pray. Father God, I just do. I thank you so much. Lord, you keep bringing to mind this word surrender. <clears throat> Lord, <clears throat> whatever it is that I haven't surrendered, I, I, I want to. Lord, I've already trusted you with my salvation, but have I handed over everything in my life? I don't know. I think not. Lord, I just pray. Right now, I pray, Lord, and I, I just invite everyone else to pray along with me. In this. Like, if there is something in my life that I have not handed over to you, Lord, please make it so clear. Reveal it to me that I might surrender it. 
Lord, that I might fully embrace a relationship of faith and trust in the creator of the universe who knows my name. Lord, let us not be lured away by an appeal to our vanity, thinking that we actually have something to do with our own salvation. But Lord, let us place it squarely in your hands, giving you all the honor and all the glory because you deserve it. Let us never consider it too easy what you did for us. Forgive us, Lord, if we've ever told that to someone else or thought that, Lord, forgive us of that. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for giving us the good shepherd. 